What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Ben, today we've got um, an all-important update to make. Uh, this one is actually, this is kind of big news for us, right? Because we yes. talked about um, the previous iteration of this, uh, boy, what was it now? Like uh, almost four years ago. Or yes. no, no, three and a half years ago. Three and maybe. a half. In uh, October 2009, mm-hmm. our October 8th episode specifically, you and I talked about a concept called the Volkswagen L1. Yeah, and we both, uh, if I recall right, I think we both really, really liked this car a lot. I know I did. Yes. We had a quite a fanboy episode that day, Scott, yeah. because, you know, we love a good concept car. This car was particularly important because the idea was that Volkswagen was going to build a vehicle that could go a 100 kilometers on one liter of diesel. Hmm. Okay, and now we're going to update this. We've got, uh, you know, we've we've done some uh, some Facebooking on this and mm-hmm. uh, and just mentioning this otherwise, but um, I tell you, this this whole vehicle from start to finish has excited me from the, right from the very beginning. I mean, back in 2002 when it first emerged, mm-hmm. uh, then I think in 2008 or nine is when it kind of came about again. You know, the the idea came up again, and then now here we are in 2013. And it's a reality, which is really, really cool for something like this to, to have such a long, you know, progression, such a long lead up and actually make it because there was a lot holding this one back when we talked about it the first time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For example, this had, uh, this had a couple of issues. Mainly there were, uh, affordability issues for carbon fiber, one of the materials used in the production of the original L1. Yeah. So now when we get to this one, the, uh, the XL1, which is the, uh, the honest to goodness production version of right. the Volkswagen that we're talking about, um, the carbon fiber issues, and this is, this is so surprising to me. I'm, I'm shocked. My eyes are wide open at the, you know, I'm even reading this. Um, carbon fiber technology for production automobiles is now 
a reality, which is really, really cool because even just a few years ago, it wasn't. It was it was so far away from reality that you know it was being used in only in sports cars, only in uh, mm-hmm. low, 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 low productions. You know, because I mean, um, just to give you an idea. You know, the, the the resins and the layers of materials that had to be laid together. You know, it's called hand laid carbon fiber is usually the way they refer to it. Um, it's not that's not the case with how they do it now um, in this vehicle specifically, but. It just wasn't even a possibility. It just took so many man hours mm-hmm. to put together even one panel for a car. Yes. Uh, that that now, you know, to imagine that they're going to build this entire vehicle with carbon resin, I think is what they use, right? Yeah, it's a polymer. Uh, so this this is a little bit different. The original L1 was just ha- using carbon fiber reinforced bodies. So that's CFRB. But the XL1 has taken that a step up, and they've got carbon fiber everywhere. The seats are carbon fiber. Yeah, the chassis is carbon fiber. Yeah, even, which is really really it's cool. Surprising. Now it's it's also it's a uh, it's a monocoque design, which is uh, like comes from racing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's like a safety cell. We've seen that in uh, the the smart vehicles, but it's a different type of material. Uh, the safety cell is more like a, more like a racing technology. Again, it's molded in one piece using what they call rapid resin transfer process. Mm-hmm. And I know nothing about it because uh, <laughs> they've had a press release where they say, you know, here's how we're doing it. Uh, what's exciting is that they're able to, uh, in, in some manner, mass produce these things, although it will be a limited run to begin with. They they are admitting that it's a, kind of a low production number. They refer to them as examples in the, oh, in really? the marketing. Yeah, they yeah. say that we'll have... Uh, fairly low number of examples can i you know what can we do something here i mean yeah i want to interrupt this whole flow here of you know we're talking about the brand new vehicle let's just for a moment i want to go back and and just kind of reminisce about the old version because i i was a huge fan of the original design the uh the original kind of uh uh olive green looking mm-hmm. vehicle it had a cigar shape to it maybe is yeah the way this to is one it. of the questions i had for you for this podcast what oh. do you think of the new design so let's talk about the old design first yeah and then get to the new design yeah sure i'm probably jumping way ahead here no actually. this is perfect so the old design did have some significant differences scott for me one of the significant differences was the interior the tandem seats yeah oh man i've They've changed i'll <laughs> tell you there's there's First, let me let me say this before we start this whole thing, because I'm not putting down the new one, the new XL1. Okay. I probably prefer the design of the original one-liter car to the to the new design. I think, mm-hmm. um, in that uh, I, there's so many elements of the original design that I really love. That had that uh, had the glass canopy that uh, completely opened up. That was super um, cool. as a single piece, which there's. Some of that's still there. Don't don't get me wrong. the uh, The shape of it it was very very narrow with the tandem seats that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very few cars that have tandem seats. I mean, the Messerschmitts had them. You know, the micro cars. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a vehicle called a Tango that has one. Uh, it looks like this one looks like a deck of cards on end. Right. Um, yeah, really really tall and narrow, but it's surprisingly like a performance car, which is strange. Um, the tandem seating I thought was really super cool in this thing. Um, the other thing is that. The back end, it pinched down almost into a, almost into a, not a point, kind of it had a blunt end on it, but right. uh, nothing like what the, the modern one has. I mean, it's similar shape, but it's much, much wider. They sort of mainstreamed um, the design for the XL1. Yeah, and I know they had to. I mean, but when you look at some of the uh, the original photos of the one-liter car, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a gorgeous design to me. I mean, I, I really, really liked it. And I don't know if it was just that it was so, so simple, so uh, so. Microcar esque, you know. Yeah, it's simple. It's also 
aerodynamic and it's a little bit of a performance vehicle or reminds me of some of those experimental vehicles Mm -hmm. that you'll see occasionally breaking, you know, world solar power records, uh, solar power speed records, excuse me. And unfortunately, as we know, when vehicles move from concept to production, they have to change uh, quite a few things, typically. Yeah, but here's the good news. What's the good news? They didn't change it a whole lot. I mean, it's still essentially. It's if you if you look at it, you know, the original version to the the version that we see today, the 2014 or whatever year it's going to be. Right. Uh, they haven't really said yet. Um, it, it's still recognizable as being the Volkswagen one liter car. Um, even though they call it something different, it's the XL one, and uh, you know, it's it's a little more refined as you as you put it. I think. Right. Yeah. There are some differences. For instance, if we return to the seats, now the XL one has staggered seats. Uh, why does it have staggered seats? Great question. The shotgun seat, I'll go ahead and call it the shotgun seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shotgun seat is slightly behind the driver's seat. And there's a good reason for this. Both the L1 and the XL1 use cameras in place of side view or rear view mirrors, and they have monitors in the doorways, or in the door, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, so that would replace the side view mirror totally. So I could see how if you're in a tandem seating arrangement and you're trying to see the right-hand monitor, that it, it could be difficult, depending on who's yeah. sitting with you. No, I guess that could be true. I mean, I, I'm just such a fan of like that. I, I thought it was so cool that you know they would have something that was... So modern yet had some of these throwback elements in it, yeah. you know, like that. I just thought that was really kind of neat, uh, like canopy, the old. Though, yeah, guess. it's it, well, I understand the canopy. I mean, I and, oh, I guess we should just go ahead and say it. I mean, I'm going to kind of go through the, yeah, yeah. the new one here, but you know, looking at some of the press photos that have come out of the new version, I mean, you know, I said it's it's very recognizable. Has full fender skirts in the back. Yeah, uh, so it's totally covered. There's a you know most of the front wheels covered in a flat disc mm-hmm. uh, for aerodynamics again. Uh, you mentioned that it has um, cameras, so there's no rear-view mirrors anywhere on this thing. There's no rear glass, which is another odd feature of this thing, uh, because there's there's no need, I guess. Either. It saves yeah. weight, and it, that's the area that the engine is located in. Um, it does have gullwing doors. I was waiting to see this. I, I, I love this. This if is really If it cool. had not had a canopy before, I would be over the moon, Scott. The gullwing doors are awesome, though, because... It's sort of a a nod to a sports car element, or it is a sports car element. It's certainly a sports car element. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, if you're talking about a a race car on a track, or you're talking about an old DeLorean, of course, you have to think think of that. These are a little bit different. They pivot uh, in two places on the, it looks like in the hood, and, uh, I mean, sorry, at the base of the windshield and on the the roof. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's got a two-point latch system, I guess. I don't know, just a really cool. It's just a. It's a. It's a neat design. I mean, you can just see it's very simplistic, very uh, very Minimalist. austere, and it's uh, in in the way they've done it. Now, you mentioned you like the seating in the in the previous one also. Um, it almost looked like sort of. I hate to say it this way, Ben, but it looked like lawn chairs almost. It had a little bit of padding wrapped on them. Yes, um, you true. think of the uh, the mesh um, the mesh seats that a lot of office chairs have now. That's sort of what you're going to get in this vehicle as well. I mean, it's it's all about weight savings. 
Yeah, it's still a hypermilers car, which yeah. is pretty neat. Uh, do you want to talk about the engine briefly? Yeah, let's let's mention that. And I, I've got kind of a list of I've got a few different things. We've got I've got a bunch of numbers here, which may or may not come into play, but I've got numbers on hand if we need them. Great. Um, I've also got just some features that I think we should list before we get to the end of this because um, the features. Some of these have changed. Some of them are new. Some of them are are kind of new technology and exciting. We, I think we should just mention all this in this update. So. Okay, and the story, uh, there's a pretty interesting story about how the XL1 was revealed to the world. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. Uh, it was revealed to the world, not originally, I think, in Qatar, but Qatar was one of the places where the XL1 was being marketed. And that's kind of strange if you think about it because Qatar has such a uh, cheap gas price, the whole country. You well, know? yeah, of course. So Qatar wouldn't be the intuitive pick or the intuitive market for a vehicle like the XL1. Wait, wait, okay. If I'm not mistaken, isn't Qatar, that's sort of a uh, place where there's a, a, an excess of luxury vehicles, right? I mean, isn't right. this like uh, very opulent? Everybody has, you know, well, not everybody, but a lot, there's a lot of uh, gold-plated Rolls Royces <laughs> cruising around, a lot of you Lamborghinis, a lot of vehicles, you know, exotic exactly. cars, right? Yeah, the, okay, here we go. You're going to like this. So okay. it, uh, the XL1 has a debut at the first ever Qatar Auto Show, um, and it's examined by the country's prime minister, uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, a member of the ruling family, uh, they, the visitors liked it, but they soon turned their attention into, from this article I'm reading, they soon turned their attention to the Torek Gold Edition, <laughs> which was, get this, an exercise in 24 karat excess. So oh, exactly boy. what you said. You okay. called it, man. <laughs> so here's the thing. 17% of Volkswagen is owned by Cutter Holdings. Okay, so, so let me, let me there's a this. vested interest. But but here's another little twist on this, right? What's that? This is a hybrid. Yes, and that's which what is, we should mention. Which yeah. is uh, which is kind of crazy. So why would they reveal this vehicle in Qatar when that is kind of like an oil rich society? You know, like where that's kind of uh, it's it's a simple thing to go, you know drive up and fill up your giant gold plated SUV yeah. for uh, for you know ten bucks or whatever the equivalent would be because it's super mm-hmm. cheap. Um, and here they are revealing a uh, Volkswagen's revealing a a hybrid vehicle that is uh, you know it's marketed as a it's a hyper efficient vehicle, right? Yeah, and it we as we're going to see, it more than matches the hype. But I just thought that was an interesting thing because what a place for it to debut. Yeah. In in Cutter. Now of course as car fans, we can both assure the listeners that Cutter has some amazing vehicles. Mm-hmm. Just on the street, man. Oh, incredible. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll see. Maybe the XL1 will catch on. I don't know. But when it does catch on, um, people will save a lot of money, regardless of how much you pay for gas, because the hybrid system is pretty smart. I'm going to say it's pretty smart. It's not the most impressive engine, maybe, in terms of performance. It's only got 47 horsepower. It's a two-cylinder. A lot of people probably just decided not to buy one. A two-cylinder engine, which is amazing. But now now think about this, though. It's got 47 horsepower, two cylinders. It's a turbo diesel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it ha- also has a backup of an electric motor, you know, because the, the hybrid system that we talked about. Uh, 27 ho- a 27 horsepower electric motor, right? Yeah. Man, this is incredible. The European combined fuel consumption for this vehicle. Now, this is like the uh, the, the MPG rating, I guess, for right. for this vehicle. The combined fuel rating, 261 miles per gallon. 
261 miles per gallon, which is amazing when you consider that this has a 2.6 gallon diesel tank. Yeah, and it exceeded what they initially wanted because when they called this a one liter car, mm-hmm. the original goal was to be able to travel 100 kilometers, 100 kilometers on one liter. So if you kind of uh, work this out, you know, on paper and figure out the 261, that equals 0.9 of a liter for 100 kilometers. So the one liter car dream has been achieved, which is remarkable. And it's been surpassed, really. Now, it's interesting because in our earlier show, before we did the update, we spoke about Ferdinand Peach, the the expert who drove the first concept and came up with the idea. He he was chairman of the board at the time, mm -hmm. and I think he drove this vehicle right to his, uh, his retirement. Yeah, to Hamburg, from Wolfsburg to Hamburg. And this is a fact that we mentioned in the previous podcast. He had an average speed of 43.5 miles per hour, but he got uh, 317.4 miles per gallon by his measure. Wow. Incredible. Which which is neat, but okay. they were thinking about making some changes here. It's just really cool to me because uh, Ferdinand Peach is on record saying um, saying some things about their plans for the XL1 and to have actually exceeded these numbers yeah. is just Im- astonishing now, from an engineering perspective. Now, when you said you probably convinced a lot of people not to buy it when you said it's a 47 horsepower two-cylinder engine, yeah. you got to you got to really put yourself in the mindset that this car is so lightweight and so small and so slippery and so and we'll go through this in just a moment. Yes. We're we're near in the end here, but um it it required now this is a fact you read in a lot of these because it came from Volkswagen in the press release. Mm-hmm. The, this car is so slippery in design. Its its drag coefficient, its uh, resistance in the yeah. air, is so low. It's it's actually it's it's point, point one nine. Yeah, right? point one nine is a drag coefficient, which is that that's like. Um, do you remember the car, the Aptera Hybrid? Yeah, I think it was somewhere around there as well. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. 
managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Oh, cool. Um, is super slick design. Really, really smooth. Again, no mirrors, no anything. Mm-hmm. Um, low, low weight. It requires, this Volkswagen says it requires just 8.3 horsepower to cruise at a constant 62 miles per, per hour. So you've got 47 horsepower on tap. Mm-hmm. It only requires 8.3 horsepower to maintain 62 miles per hour. Now that's, you know, you need more to get up to that speed, but just to maintain it on high, at highway speeds. And, you know, if you're worried about top end. Oh, yeah, this is interesting. They limited the top end. Yeah, the top end, but. However, I mean, you would think that, like, okay, it takes, oh, here's another little fact before I get to the top speed, okay. but it takes about 12.7 seconds to get up to, to, to that 62 miles per hour. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, kind of slow. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can expect that from something like this. It's not over, overly powered. It doesn't have a giant engine. It's not going for performance. It's right. all about Absolutely. fuel efficiency. It's, it's electronically limited to 99 miles per hour. So you can, Definitely cruise with the big boys on the big boys on the highway. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're able to go 99, if you need to, <laughs> it's just that you're not going to be able to uh, to pass with a lot of speed, or, or um, uh-huh. you're not be able to get up to speed that quickly. So be careful when you're pulling out in traffic in this thing. And you said you had 12.7 seconds for the zero sixty. Correct. So what? Here's something that is a little bit different. This is perhaps one of the larger differences between the L1 concept and the XL1 production car, is that the L1 was claimed to weigh about 840 pounds. Oh, I'm glad you're mentioning weight right now. And the XL1, is, people are saying 1,800 pounds? Yeah, it's uh, the actual official weight from Volkswagen is 1,753 pounds. Now, okay, I've got a little bit of a, a, a not a story behind this, but, but this is, okay, the original was somewhere around 840, right? Right. This is 1,753, so we're talking about a significant gain in weight of... 900 pounds it gained more than it, it more than it's doubled two cars it. it's more it, than two cars it more than doubled its weight yeah. uh the reason ben is that there's a lot of additional safety equipment and you know extra materials that they had to do ah. and being that this is the production version they had to use materials that they could easily reproduce you know many of and quickly relatively quickly i should say versus like the l1 or yeah the l1 concept that they were able to build in a specialty shop, and each piece was, you know, hand formed and you layered. Know, exactly, and layered. yeah. So um, it's slightly different in that way, but I mean, man, a 900 pound increase—that's incredible. However, consider this though: it's still a two-passenger vehicle that's only 1,753 pounds. That is a—that's an extremely lightweight car. As uh, I mean, as you know, you can see by the the uh, the, the small engine that they need required to power it. I've got some of the exterior dimensions of this thing. Yeah, give you an see. idea of the give, size. Give in a people minute. about. Uh, let's do a 
a height and a length. At oh, least. okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, there's more about weight that I want to get back to. So okay. let's see the height, <laughs> height and length. So the uh, the length of this thing it's um, it's 12 feet nine inches long. Um, it's about five and uh, about five and a half feet wide. Mm. But here's the crazy thing: the height. It's only three feet nine and a half inches tall. And uh, if you want just something to you know quickly reference out on the street, think about it: the current Porsche Boxster. It's about five inches lower than the current Porsche Boxster. So it's a very, very low car. You don't want to be topping out at 99 miles per hour and hit a pothole in this car. No, 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 no. But uh, three three feet, nine and a half inches tall, that's that's still pretty low. That's really, uh, you're, you're down low, and that's got to be kind of a cool feeling to drive. That, yeah. that alone, I totally appreciate, because you know I'd like to be as low as possible in my car. I'd, right. I would prefer to lay down and drive my car if I could. That <laughs> you would want a great. recumbent car? I like, to, I like to reach out the window and touch the ground with my hand. Without having to bend over. That, that's the uh, the height goal. <laughs> okay. Anyway, okay. So we're back to weight. Yes, we're back to weight. Okay, so 1,753 pounds. Sounds like, you know, well, it doubled it, more than doubled it. That's yeah. a lot of weight, right? Sounds like a lot to push. Think about this. The current Mazda Miata, the, you know, the, everybody can kind of gauge the size of that. I'm sure everybody's seen one by now. The, the current MX-5 model that, you know, started in 2005, the third gen, that weighs 2,500 pounds. So we're talking about uh, what 800 pound difference there. So it's 800 pounds lighter than a, than a Miata. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, by the way, yes. can I uh, can I just mention this? Yeah. There's a there's a fourth generation of Mazda Miata on its way soon, which uh, just I I don't know why I hadn't even thought about this up until now. But I think it was um, I think Fiat group the Fiat group and Mazda are building a fourth generation Miata for. Mazda and Alfa Romeo, I think, is going to be the other oh. manufacturer that that's uh, going to have this on their lots. Interesting. So that's on the way. Anyway, that's like okay. 2014. Um, and one last thing I want to mention about weight. So we, we've dispelled the idea that it's a heavy car because it's not really heavy. Right. It's just, it just seems heavy in comparison to the concept car. Yeah. And the materials that have to be used for a production yeah. car are and, different. And I'm telling you, like they even did things like um, they they. they Gave it lightweight glass. There's like an ultra lightweight windshield that they've put mm-hmm. in place. There's low, um, low rolling resistance tires. Yeah, polycarbonate side windows. And if you notice, the side windows are the kind that have a uh, a segmented section. Uh-huh. So yeah. only part of that lowers. So the other part is fixed. Um, there's no rear glass, as we mentioned. And glass is a lot of weight in a car like this. Yeah, glass is surprisingly um, heavy. Okay, my my uh, my little sidebar that I want to mention here, uh-huh. my little soapbox maybe, is that um, <laughs> you know you see what they can do with with uh you know some of these materials and make them low and lightweight but look look back at the i mean geez imagine if they could make a car that was 840 pounds imagine if there were you know these safety features that weigh an additional 900 pounds that they had to add to the car Mm -hmm. to make it you know compatible to uh, whatever federal laws they've got sure um imagine just i was just thinking like this if imagine if we went back to a time when you know you you would sign something almost and say like i i just give up all rights of what happens to me when i buy this vehicle uh-huh. i identify to, the manufacturer yeah, I mean, look back to like the buckboard cars mm-hmm. i mean that was nothing more than a few planks of wood and an engine right and a few wheels yes three well, four wheels how about but that though they couldn't go 99 miles per hour no they couldn't either. but I mean, here's a here's a super efficient vehicle. If people really, really, truly want to do this, and there's all this legislation in the way, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, not to get totally political about it, but there's nothing you can do about it now. There's a lot of the stuff built in that says yeah. you have to have, here in the United States, you have to have seatbelts, airbags, mm-hmm. uh, traction control, ABS, mm-hmm. all these different you know systems that that take a lot of a lot of extra material in the vehicle and, and 
causes a lot of this weight to happen or to occur. Um, I don't know. Just think, just, just imagine what the roadways would be like if, you know, you had these people that could build these one-off cars, you know, that uh, were super lightweight, super efficient, super, you know, more hyper-efficient cars. It's an interesting question, especially because it's probably going to remain hypothetical, at least in the States and Europe mm-hmm. and, and Canada. However, if we take an international perspective here, it, it reminds me of our podcast on the Tata Nano. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Tata Nano, the world's cheapest production car, cheapest buy new off the lot production car, is never going to be sold in the United States in the version it's in now. If if it was, it'd be much heavier and much more expensive, right? Right, because the materials uh, are part of the cost, and the safety is part of the cost and the weight, and that is legally required. So this is an interesting question, and I think it is a valid point. The difference between the X. L1 and the L1 uh, is maybe a little bit more regulated than you might think at first glance. I still, I, I tell you though, I still really, really like the looks of the XL1, the the new version. I, I really do like it. I've seen a few of the uh, of the photos. From, I think they're in currently. Yeah. I'm going to date this podcast when we're recording, but <laughs> in, they're in Geneva, uh, where they're they're giving ride and drives to uh, some press members. Yes, and there's some photos. There's some great photos of these things, you know, in a in a train of of XL ones on some little, you know, side back street, you know, back street yeah. as they're uh, kind of winding their way through the countryside. Um, I saw that one too. It they look like little spaceships. They're really really cool. These are these are neat vehicles. Um, I just I think they've got a lot going for them. I think that people are going to really like them. Now, unfortunately, they're only going to be sold in Europe at first. Right. Uh, they're not coming to well, fortunate for people in Europe, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know they're not scheduled to, or not not saying if they're going to release them anywhere else in the world right, right they, now. They haven't committed to anything yet. At the time of this recording, there is no definitive timeline that has officially come out. Now there are a bunch of analysts who are saying, you know, different predictions and stuff, mm-hmm. but we don't really have to mess with. No, it's all speculation at yeah. this point. And uh, you know, for now, I'm happy with just a European release. And that it's out there. I'm just glad that they they brought this project, you know, to completion. That 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 you know, it's it's actually a road going vehicle. Now I know that's going to be like a, a relatively low production, um, sort of a hand. It's going to be a hand built process right now. Um, you know, they're going to manufacture each one individually, and you know, it's mm-hmm. going to be. It's not like a coach building situation where they're they're going to be custom made for everybody. However, right. there still is quite a bit of work that goes into, I'm sure, making that carbon fiber chassis and and body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this single piece monocoque can't be something that is quickly done. Um, but but Scott, if this takes off, if Europe loves this thing, then we very well could see some version of it. Uh, coming to the United States, and I think it's exciting. You know, when I was listening to our previous podcast, and I have to apologize to the listeners, you guys, we walk away uh, from every episode we do with a bunch of stuff we wish we mentioned, and I notice how many times I say, uh... <laughs> so I do a long apo- time ago. I do was, apologize for that. That was way back in the high speed stuff days. Right? Yeah, it yeah. is. It was back when our show was called High Speed Stuff, which was which was quite a while ago. So. While I was listening to this, inspired me to ask a couple of questions for you, and I wanted to follow up with some things. Scott, first off, you were a little bit—I don't want to say angry, but you were—you were a little bit saddened by the cargo space or lack thereof. Oh, really? In the L1, huh. 
Yeah, because it it's not a there huge just, amount. There just wasn't a whole lot of space for that, Ben. I mean, when, uh, when with the tandem seating plus an engine and that mm-hmm. that real narrow. If you look at the original photos, you'll see that there's not a whole lot of space for anything. But one point uh, eight cubic feet. <laughs> that's it, huh? Yeah, that's it. It's one point eight cubic feet. Uh, what the, is that like a milk crate? <laughs> and then, so. I have a quote that you had you had said earlier, quotation matter. <laughs> oh, no. I kind of could see myself driving this with a lot less luggage, maybe a trailer or a chase vehicle. <laughs> which uh, which I thought was cool. I had a I had an equally um I don't need to carry a lot of stuff. No, man, you travel light. That's yeah. what people say about you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how uh, to take that. So take it as a compliment. All right, so what do you think of the new design? That's one of my first well, questions. I think we've already said I, I actually I really do like it, not quite as much as the L one. But I do like it. I hope to see it here in the United States. If nothing else, I hope that, you know, some I know this will happen. Even though it's going to be released in Europe, someone's going to import one here to the States. I know it'll be around. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who will have it, if it's a celebrity, if it's a sports celebrity of some kind, you know, what it, what it will be. But, uh, you know, one thing I was thinking is uh, if you're in Detroit, there's a chance that you may see one if there's a there's a VW headquarters in uh, Detroit, Michigan, north of Detroit. And uh, you often see a lot of VW products that are you know, ahead of the release out mm-hmm. on the road. So keep your eyes open. You may see one up there or in that area, you know, like northern Indiana, northern Ohio. There's, there's a good chance. And, uh, well, what about you? Do you, yeah. what do you, do you like the current design? Do you, what do you think of it versus the old design? I miss that canopy, man. That canopy to me was the business. That was, was a cool looking thing. Now, going doors, of course, as an 80s kid, I have to, always agree that gullwing doors look cool. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that's legally written into our birth certificates. So gullwings are a close second for you. Yeah, it's a post-Back to the Future thing. But the car itself is pretty cool from a design perspective to me. I'm not the biggest fan of the fender skirts, mm-hmm. but... Well, they're necessary, though, for, yeah, the, for the slippery design. Yeah, the, it's part of the it's part of the drag, but or the drag prevention. But if the price comes down quite a bit, now what they're saying. Oh, yeah. see, there's only speculation at this there's point. There's only speculation. They have not, uh, you're making a great point. They have not officially confirmed any of the speculation. And the speculation has ranged from about 50,000 at the Cutter show to as, as much as around 100,000. Oh my gosh. I hadn't heard that. The, uh, the top I had heard is around 50. Um, now going back to like when we were, talking about this in 2009 mm. i think the 2008 estimates were anywhere between like 31,000 and 48,000 so if it's truly you know, if they're truly talking like 100,000 now at this point that's a lot of money but i mean again the first car the first production car to have this this monocoque you know mm. single piece carbon fiber body and you know all these lightweight elements that are added in i mean that's that's race car tech yeah. um in, in a street car i could almost see that you know the first the first version of this would be somewhere close to that but i you know i couldn't i i couldn't see it being a hundred thousand it's a lot of new technology it is it is it is i don't want it to be a hundred thousand maybe that's what i should say two cylinder i mean two cylinder hybrid version with you know turbo diesel with start stop technology fiber everything you know the the, uh oh it's got the seven speed dsg transmission the automatic talk about that's all right it's uh it's volkswagen the seven speed automatic Mm -hmm. the dsg yeah Um, it was in the l1 as well uh, obvious choice for this thing because uh they wanted to to shift as smoothly as possible you know on its way up and down i would def so in response to the question i would definitely 
buy one if the price went down low enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to see what kind of aftermarket modifications people make to this. I know this is years down the road, <laughs> or maybe it's sooner than we think. Yeah. But so the XL1 has, I believe, around a three-gallon gas tank. Is that I correct? Think, I think that's right. It's a, maybe I'm approximating here. But isn't that one of the first things somebody's going to mess with? Ah, uh, maybe. But you know what? That also adds a ton of weight. It does. And Fuel that's is heavy. and that's the problem. See, now you would you would compromise your miles per gallon, obviously. So you wouldn't get the you wouldn't be getting the 261. Right. But you'd have a longer range. But hypermilers will just say, "We'll take that extra seat out," you know. Yeah, which is <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll take the uh, the passenger seat out, or you know, they'll even make it you know, pare it down even further. They'll take out all the seats, any and just sort of <laughs> anything unnecessary, which is kind of crazy. I mean, even though it's already already pretty uh, pretty limited in, in weight, mm-hmm. um, I could also see somebody maybe even doing a little bit of a hot rod version of this, you know, with its slippery design, and, even, and it wouldn't take a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, you put in a, a strong four-cylinder engine versus this two-cylinder that's, you know, the hybrid version. Not I a mean, bad point. You know, let's say that you got half of the miles that they're saying. Let's say you got 130 miles per gallon. Still, that's pretty dang good. That would be not a bad commuting car, and if you wanted a little bit of performance with it, you know, that's that's the trade-off. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. Or even if you go to the extreme, you could have, you know, a, a six-cylinder if you could get it to fit in there. That's the problem. A lot of this won't fit into the space available because it is it is a pinched design. You know, in the back, it, sure. it tapers yeah. off. Um, Which bugs me a little bit, but again, I understand that. The thing is, though, that this vehicle is going to get so much street cred because it is a Volkswagen and because they have met the hype. Now, we know that with hybrid vehicles... It's been difficult sometimes for companies to deliver on their original vision. Mm-hmm. And, and that vision, due to constraints of technology, uh, has to be adjusted. But not so much in this case, yeah, huh? See, I think, I think that this carbon fiber chassis and body thing is huge. It's big. I, I really do. This is, a, this is a major, major advancement. Because this is, what the, this is exactly the point that has held back all of those hypercars that we talked about mm-hmm. in the past, is that you can't quickly, cheaply, oh, I, I guess efficiently, put together a carbon fiber body without, you know, all this massive amount of man labor that as it takes forever to lay out these these panels, like I mentioned. If you ever watch anybody build a carbon fiber panel, and you can watch that online anywhere you want, but it, it's a lengthy, lengthy process. It takes a lot of time in curing and, and the coating, and it's very, um, it takes someone as a craftsman to do it. Yeah. Um, in this case, you know, it's done quickly and uh, sort of an assembly line fashion, and more so than it ever has in the past. And and I'm excited about not only what Volkswagen can do with this technology on other products in their line, but also kind of the uh, the competition that this is going to spawn. Because you know other manufacturers are going to figure out a way to do this. And it won't be long before, you know, um, okay, we used the Miata for an example yeah. before. What if Miata comes out with a carbon fiber body? Uh-huh. Um, that's going to up the, up the ante for anybody in that market, you know, to, to do the same. And it, the competition is really good for the market. Yeah, no kidding. Is I wonder what the prefix will be for cars that have carbon fiber. Will it be the Mazda Miata CF? I, I don't know. The, yeah, I don't know. It could be just idea. Miata Carbon Edition or something Monte like Carlo that. Monte Carlo CF? I'm kidding. Uh, you, you know what? <laughs> it could be because it's not going to be limited to sports cars. They're going to do yeah. this on a lot of vehicles because, you know, why not? If you have to get these, uh, you know, 
seemingly unattainable cafe numbers, mm-hmm. um, why not build great big sedans and, and luxury vehicles even with carbon fiber you know, panels and, and components? This could it's be big. Safer than steel, right? I mean, yeah. that's what they say, safer than steel. Let's, I, I mean, I, maybe this is the time for us to invest in carbon fiber. Well, stronger than steel. Manufacturer. Right. Maybe. Maybe I mean uh, this is uh, this is amazing. This is really good news. I think for the for the entire industry. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously, it's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time in range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. And we should also mention that we are grateful for our listeners, each and every one. We will never tell you what to do. We will seldom tell you what to do. Uh, But I wanted to squeeze in just a bit of listener mail before we leave. Sounds good. Okay. Scott, this is some Facebook mail from our friend Jeff. Now, Jeff is asking a question about our Global Highway episode when we talked about that idea. Oh, yeah. And Jeff says... Why not have the global road network be a wholly private endeavor? Ooh, boy, that's tricky. Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. I started to write a response to Jeff, and then I thought, how do I get this short enough to not be an obscenely long? I, is thing? that I don't know. Is that is that any better than it being owned by the uh, by the principalities or whatever that you're, or the, I, I governments, the, 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 the governments? Because the governments, the governments, sort it, of like 
uh, cooperating companies. Boy, I don't know. This is a really uh, sticky situation, isn't mm-hmm. it? With uh, with it traveling between countries. Yeah, that, that's what makes this all so difficult. I mean, just the the politics of the whole thing. Um, to have it privately owned. Oh my gosh, I can't. Who, who would have enough money to, uh, to to do something like that to begin with? I don't know. Would it be a government? Maybe. I, I <laughs> That's think, not privately owned, though. Yeah, I think if, that most of the, if there are any individuals that would be wealthy enough to do this, A, they would not be the kind of people to spend money on a boondoggle like that, mm-hmm. and B, they probably wouldn't be uh, wealthy enough to do it entirely on their own. I and mean, we're talking trillions. Well, and the entire thing would be a toll road, right? I mean, it would have yeah. to be in order to support itself, right? So, because uh, you can't just say... Somebody owns this and they just build it for you know for the good of the world. Um, I wouldn't think that would be cool, but that's a little tough to believe. No, I mean because maintenance on this, as we discussed, would be sure. in the incredible. billions. In the billions, yeah, that's right. So it, it just simply couldn't be. Someone would run out of money within a day. But what if there were people who owned? What if there was like an adopt a highway thing? And people could just you could buy you know a couple miles or a couple feet <laughs> of it. I would totally. I would so totally you're saying multiple multiple owners. If it were to be a single private company controlling this, then it would be in danger of being a monopoly. And monopolies are not necessarily good for markets. Oh, this I think that would be extremely bad. If somebody individually owned a highway that connects all the continents on the world in the world. Yeah. I can't imagine the power that that person would have. I mean, it seems like uh, you could, you know, shut off and open up corridors as you pleased, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you could be like a Bond supervillain. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of could be. I mean, you could, you could control the the flow, the ebb and flow of all of the world's goods, really, and trap people in those underwater tunnels you yeah. were talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of room for like a supervillain type person to, to do this. And also, to flip the question here, uh, if it's a wholly public endeavor, if it's entirely government-run, that doesn't really fix a lot of the same problems. What we're talking about, if I could be a bit nerdy with you, is something that's kind of like the Ring of Power in Lord of the Rings. It might be a little bit too much power for most people or groups. Definitely. even I would say even if an individual government owned it. Uh, let's say that... that the United States. Let's say the United States, because we're here in the states. Let's say that they own all of this, uh, the super highway, um, this, this world connecting highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. I think it just uh, it would just be like too much. I don't know. There's no better way to say it than there's just too much power for one group or person to hold. I do want to say though, just for the sake of argument, that I think if you and I and our new producer Noel uh, and Jeff. We're the only four owners. I think it would be fine. <laughs> it might work out. Sure, yeah. What uh, Are you making fun of me? Ah, boy, I don't know. Would, uh, <laughs> would repairs be made on time? Uh, I think we're going to throw that one to Noel. Uh, so, in the meantime, while we're working out our devious plan to rule the world through the use of a global highway, we're going to say thank you to our listeners for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our Slightly Fanboy podcast on the excellent XL1, and you can write to us to tell us more about your experiences or what you think the future of carbon fiber may be. Find us on Facebook, drop us a line on Twitter, or send us a good old-fashioned email at carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. 
send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.